John Main. Uh, I think what we would, what I plan to do is the first half to give him um, an introduction to John Main's life and his teaching, and then in the second half I've done some, um, gone through his books, taking some short sort of quotes we might look at together. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, with on this roots course now with people like John Main and B. Griffiths, we've we've really come up to our own time now. We've seen a a kind of a tradition which is moving moving right now into the contemporary um, time, and so there's many different, and we've discovered uh, that there are many different milestones on the way. People who've kind of set the, the, the Christian mystic, mystical tradition in a new direction. And um, I think people like Father Bede and, and John Main um, are very much a milestone for the contemporary um, Christian mystical tradition. They, they, um, and I think there's a the couple, of, couple of ways where you can understand them as being so much symbolically the uh, key figures for for the mystical tradition now um, one is the the meeting of east and west which we looked at yesterday the, the christian mystical tradition today can't no longer understands itself um, only in itself it's now understands itself in relation to uh, the other forms of wisdom tradition in the world. And I think that's an important um, thing of, of that these figures start to show. Um, that's more sort of obvious in the teaching of, of B. Griffiths, but it's also there in, in John Main, um, in that John Main originally learned meditation from a, a Hindu monk in Malaya and then came back and rediscovered it in the Christian tradition. So there's a meeting of East and West, a very real one there. The other point, I think, where they're, they're both very um, important for understanding the contemporary form of Christian mysticism is they both understood the call to prayer and to deep contemplation as a universal call. Universal in that it was it crossed the boundaries of religious traditions. That prayer was no longer something just Christians did, but it was something which everyone was doing in their own way. And um, also, the, the call to depth was not just um, for monks and nuns and for some sort of spiritual elite, um, but reconnecting again with the, the tradition of the very early church, um, that, the, that um, the, the early Christians before the, the sort of institutionalization of the church would meet in people's houses and there'd be more of a, and there'd be no sort of hierarchy really, there was a bishop and things, but um, both Father Bede and John Main saw a contemplative renewal happening with the laity and with small meditation groups meeting in churches and houses and not a, a sort of starting of a new sort of religious order or 
any attempt to sort of change them, the church externally, but more a contemplative renewal for ordinary people in ordinary lives. So, and I think you can you can tie in coming now to to look at John Main. His great inspiration, uh, apart from this encounter with this Hindu monk in Malaya, was John Cassian, who I think we studied in the in the Roots course, or didn't we? No. <laughs> but Cassian was um, one of the, the went and collected the sayings of the Desert Fathers. We studied the Desert Fathers, and then Cassian just travelled around, collected these sayings, and then started a monastery. And, and his um, writings were very influential on monasticism. But he's quite key also in that he's um, a figure which sort of links the, the Eastern Church, Eastern Christianity, with Western Christianity, because he travelled in the East and collected all these um, sayings in the, in the Egyptian desert, Sinai and places, and then came back and started his monastery in, in Marseille in France. And so he was, he's a bridge between the Eastern and Western Christianity. And John Main was a, is a bridge between the, um, the Eastern religions and the uh, Christianity. And so there, there's something important in the, the, where the source of this is coming from. Um, also, like Cassian, he was um, not writing a theoretical theology, but collecting um, a teaching on prayer which was very experiential, very practical, a practical wisdom. Um, so, um, he's he's someone who's coming out of this Christian tradition which is to do with, with practice, not theory. Um, and there is some theology in John Main, but it's always there to bring us back into silence. It's always there to prepare us for an encounter with God. God, like the cloud of unknowing, said, cannot be known by thought, but only by love. And this is a key thing of John Main is um, a theology of love, really. Is he made the, and we can look at that in the quotes, I've collected quotes about love and the meaning of love as a relation to God, um, as a paradigm for our relation to God. Human love would be the, the way we'd understand it. So... Um, I think we, so in John Main we can see this, this tradition which we followed, especially the monastic tradition, we've followed quite a few different varied ones, but this monastic tradition from the Desert Fathers um, flowing through into John Main and having this contemporary expression. And B. Griffiths, who was a friend of John Main, called him the most important spiritual teacher in the church today. He recognized John Main's um, importance as a spiritual teacher. Um, so I look briefly at, at John Main's life. I might want to pass this. This is the only photo I could, I could find of him. Um, there are many more, but I might pass that around just to get 
and you so um again like with all the mystics we've studied the um they're, they're very human people mystics are not often not sort of born mystics they kind of well maybe they are actually children are um, mystical but they're very it's the human story so john main was um the story is part of the teaching um he was born in in 1926 in London so we've come after traveling all around the world and our roots of Christian mysticism we come back to London um, he was born into an Irish family he was born Douglas John was a monastic name and had Scottish connections his grandfather was Scottish but his the grandfather went to to work in Ireland in in Ballingskelligs to set up the first transatlantic cable I went there a couple of years ago so, to stay in Ballinskelligs, um, one of the most ancient monastic sites in Ireland. It's just off the coast there. So, and the, the John Main's grandfather met the, the grandmother, and the Main family lived in Ballinskelligs up until his parents um, moved to London. Um, John Main, despite his Irish background was very brought up very English and had a very English manner he went to the Westminster Cathedral Choir School um, and they lived in in Highgate and Hampstead around there um, when he when he left school he um, it was still during the war and he entered into the the army at the last year of the war and he became a radiographer in the intelligence unit, he was working behind enemy lines. And um, one of his jobs there was to, to pinpoint the location of the enemy um, radio signals so they could jam them um, as part of the intelligence sort of service. And they'd just come across this new um, quartz crystal, which, would, which was so precise that they could pick up the, the wavelength of a specific signal being sent. And um, when, you, when you picked up that wavelength, you were able to block any um, transmission outside of that. And he compared that later to the, um, to, the, to the mantra, his teaching on the mantra. That this was the very precise way of coming onto the, the frequency of God, the, the mind of Christ. And it was a way of, of getting away from the distractions, our own thoughts and images and coming into the prayer of the spirit within us. So, and a lot of his teaching includes these metaphors which he takes from his, that's only one, of, of, of his life story. He then, after at the end of the war, he joined um, the Canons Regular, which was Augustinian form of religious life, and went to Rome to study there, but he didn't find it suited him. So he left that, and he went and studied law at Trinity College, Dublin. And after graduating, he went to uh, join the colonial service. Um, he joined it, he was quite a paradoxical figure, because he, he joined it because he was very opposed to the... <laughs> to the British Empire. He was a socialist politically, John Main was. And he, but he, the, the, the temptation of 
joining the colonial service at the time when the British Empire was being dismantled basically around the world. He just said so he loved that. <laughs> so he went out and he, was, he also had been studying Chinese. He was very interested in, in um, Chinese culture and language. Anyway, he's, he went, went to Malaya to help with the handing over of independence in Malaya. And it was there that he met this Hindu monk. He was sent um, by his superiors to, to visit this monk um, who was doing charitable work, looking, running an orphanage. And they discussed the, the, what, his work. And then finally, they, the, the, um, they got to discussing spiritual things. And the monk asked him whether he prayed. And um, John Main said, yes, he did. He, and he, the monk asked him, well, how do you pray? And, and John Main said he took a passage of scripture and reflected over it and then uh, came to some sort of resolution about how that could be applied to his life and um, prayed with that. What we might, a more discursive form of prayer, using thought and imagination and, and will um, and intention. Um, so, and the, the monk said this was wonderful, but his, the way he had learnt to pray was for the mind to come to a state of stillness. And he quoted a line from the, one of the Upanishads um, that uh, the spirit is present in our hearts and in silence is loving to all. To come back to the presence of the spirit in our hearts and that silence of the presence is where the love goes out rather than our own will and or our own intention or our own um, the, the, the acts of goodness we want to do. And John Mayne was very impressed by this and he felt that this he wanted to learn more about this so he asked how, how do you come to this silence? Um, and the monk said well by taking a mantra and by repeating it that you would come you would come to a state of silence and John Main was, was very attracted to this so he said could he could he learn and the monk said yes it would, as could he as a Christian learn and the monk said um, that it would make him a better Christian so it would be worth learning so that John Main then came back every week to meditate with this monk and um, learnt the, the practice of, of, of pure prayer using uh, the single word. Do you know which word that monk? Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. I was thinking about that today because later on, he John Main recommended the word Maranatha. Now, one always assumes that was the word he was using, and yet... It, um, Lawrence says that he came across this word Maranatha while he was on his rediscovery of medita meditation in the Christian tradition. He then spotted this word being used in the scriptures a lot in the New Testament, which kind of makes me think that there probably was another, another mantra being used before, but nobody knows what it was. I think in the Hindu Traditional, you're given an individual. Oh, he might have been given one, yeah. You mm. often, and that is secret. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. 
Yeah. You just keep it for yourself. You keep it for yeah. yourself in the Hindu tradition. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is um, this became the sort of um, very important in John Main's practice. And later on, when he became a monk, he was. I mean, he actually after the working in the in the colonial service, he went back to to teach law at Trinity Dublin, and he spent some years as a professor there. And then he felt called again to a sort of form of monastic life. So two quite interesting experiences. One was um, that he fell in love with a girl who was a friend of the family's, and um, uh, and um, he asked her to marry her, him, and she said yes. And then, but then I, I get this from Father Lawrence. That apparently, later on, she decided no, that it wasn't right, and he was very. Um, uh, they they remained friends apparently throughout their life, but it kind of the awareness that there was something about him which wasn't called to be married um, was quite a a strong experience. A painful one for him, painful one. And the other was that his his family, he was very close to his family, and his one of his sisters, um, whose husband died in the war, had two sons, and these nephews were practically brought up by John Maine as a sort of father figure. And then one of them got uh, uh, cancer, and um, and John Maine was with him throughout that, spent spent um, the, the two weeks, his last two weeks, continuously with him in hospital. And that experience of accompanying the nephew and the, in, in the dying also kind of made it clear to him that he wanted to dedicate his life to, to, to prayer. Um, and he went, surprisingly, he went to um, to all this time he was meditating, he was continuing his practice of meditation. This is quite interesting, this was in the in the um, 50s, as before the Maharishi was on the scene, and meditation was totally unknown in the, in the West. Um, so he, he couldn't really talk about it to anyone, no one would know what he was talking about. <laughs> this is before the 60s, but anyway, he was meditating throughout that time, and then um, but then he, when he wanted to join a monastic foundation, he joined Ealing, when he came back to London constantly. This sort of movement from Ireland to England and then to America, this seems to be a refrain of his life. Um, came back to, and joined Ealing. Um, and his novice master, when he explained his meditation practice, said that this form of prayer wasn't Christian and that he should come back to a sort of Benedictine form of prayer, which actually in those days was more the Jesuit form of using your imagination. And the more the form he'd been trained in um, earlier on. So he was told to give to, to stop the form of prayer. And John Main did. Part of the monastic obedience thing was to be obedient. So he, he stopped meditating as he had learnt it. And later on he, he says... Um, that this was a, actually a great, I mean, it was very difficult. He said he went into a, a, a long time of, of desert experience until he rediscovered the, the 
teaching and um, a very arid sort of time just using your thoughts and imaginations no real experience um, but he said that it meant that when he did come back to meditation it was totally on God's terms not because so he'd, he'd let you sometimes the most precious thing in your life you have to let go of in order to receive it back from God um, it was a sort of instilled in him a, a sort of radical detachment even from the meditation which was so, as you, as you will see in the, at the end of his life, was the consuming sort of passion of his life was to teach that meditation. So his practice was, was interrupted by this for many years, but he, but he came back to it. But he enjoyed the monastic life. Uh, he went to Rome and, and studied um, uh, during the Second Vatican Council which he loved, I mean, part of his sort of socialist thing, this de democratising of the church, he felt, was wonderful, that finally the whole understanding of the church as the people of God, and, and, no, and the, 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 the world could now have access to the church, and the church was in relation to the world. That whole thing appealed to him. Um, and he came back to Ealing and taught in the school. That's where he was Father Lawrence's teacher. Um, and then he became, I mean, there's well, some monastic stories, but basically there were some divisions in the monastery between a, a new form of monasticism and then continuing the old ways. Anyway, the, in the end, the, the, John Main became a figure for the sort of monastic renewal, but he wasn't elected as abbot, and the, 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 the abbot sent him off to, to America, so he finally crossed over to America. And that um, you know, begins the, the story of, of his America thing. He went to Washington, D.C., where there was a, a monastery there, St. Anselm's. And um, he was supposed to be doing a, a Ph.D. study there, but he, he ended up accepting the role as headmaster of the school there because they needed someone to, to sort of revamp the place. Um, but all this time he was continuing this thought on what the meaning of a monastery was, this whole renewal of monasticism which he'd, he'd been working on in Ealing, that a monastery wasn't really there to educate people. A monastery was there to, to teach contemplation, to be a contemplative centre. Um, and it was there in America where, interestingly, he had his second interesting little encounter, which was the re which pointed him towards the renewal of, of I mean, the rediscovery of the meditation he'd he'd left behind, um, which was that a young student came to him who'd been travelling in the East in India, and asked him um, came to the monastery and asked what the Christian teaching on prayer was. He had all this teaching in India. What, what was the Christian teaching? And this young boy was sent to, to the abbot sent him to John Main, and John Main really became aware that there wasn't any. There was such a lack that he couldn't answer that question. Anyway, he tried to give the, the boy the... Augustine, Augustine Baker's book, Holy Wisdom, which was a 
17th century Benedictine writer, which was very contemplative, but not easy, not easy reading. But anyway, the boy, um, young man, within two days had read it all and was very enthusiastic, <laughs> wanted to know, came back to John Main and said, this is great, this, this stuff, especially because Baker talks about the Desert Fathers and the early monastic tradition. And John Main then went into a sort of dialogue with this young student and discovered that there was something here, there was something. And he learned. So he went back and, and, and reread the Desert Fathers, Cassian's records of the teachings. And there he um, came across the, 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 the teaching on the, on the, the mantra in Cassian, where, man, where Cassian in the 10th conference records the teachings of Abbot Isaac, that, um, that you should, Abbot Isaac says, take a formula, a short phrase, of God come to my aid, and repeat it ceaselessly in your heart and mind, so that all the riches of the imagination can be let go of, and we can come with ready ease to that first of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the teaching of the mantra is quite clearly there in Cassian. You take a short phrase, and the, the poverty of staying with that word or phrase is the prayer. The poverty of it, not the prayer is not in our thoughts and imaginations. This is the teaching of pure prayer. So anyway, John Main on this started meditating again, now aware of the Christian tradition of meditation. And he felt that after a while he felt he wanted really to dedicate his life to this. So he went back to Ealing, this is in 1974, he spent some time out in America. He went back to Ealing and um, started a lay community there. Um, and the meditation groups. He realized quite quickly that the, that the meditation, first he thought it would transform the monastic life. The other thing about John Main is this, he was quite monastic and but always discovering that the meditation really was a, a lay, that the lay people were taking it up. Um, and that's what happened in Ealing. And then again, well then again he went back across the Atlantic in 1977 he was offered to set up a monastery after he realized that Ealing wasn't going to <laughs> swing to the meditation um, in Montreal in Canada. So him and Father Lawrence, Father Lawrence was a, originally part of this lay community and then later became a novice and then went with John Main to, to Montreal. And, and then he had three years in Montreal setting up this monastery and doing the teaching um, and traveling and teaching and then it was very brief because in 1980 um, he was diagnosed with cancer and he was only 52 years old he was diagnosed with cancer and then he lived for two more years um, but his health declining but continued teaching and all the the tapes, which are now used in the Christian meditation groups, were from those Montreal years where his talks were recorded right up to the last years. 
Um, and he died on December the 30th, 1982. So a, a very brief teaching uh, time, of, of sort of, but a very intense one because he knew, he, um, knew what he was trying, trying to teach. Um, so just to say a bit about the teaching, the first thing is it, it comes from the monastic tradition. He understood this as the gift of monasticism was this form of prayer. There are many other forms of prayer, other forms of spirituality, but this is what monasteries should be about, he felt, and they weren't. And essentially, he felt it was, it, it was an oral tradition. It always had been this contemplative thing. That's why there's actually not that much written about it. But Cassian recorded the sayings of the, the, this oral tradition, and it went on and resurfaced every now and then, but normally it was passed on by word of mouth. And this John Main did. He felt his calling was to pass on this oral tradition which you can get in the tapes. It continues to be oral. The other thing was the, the oblate community. He felt that the monasticism, this desire to renew monasticism, which had been with him a long time, found its meaning in the idea of an oblate community, a community of people committed to meditation um, and drawing on the, the monastic spirituality, but still lay people. And this is the, became the, the germ of, of what now is the World Community for Christian Meditation, which is a broader sort of sharing of that teaching. Uh, the bridge, bridge between faiths, I think that's very key to the understanding of John Main, although he doesn't go into it as much as Father Bede. Father Bede really unpacked all that, John Main, but it's implicitly it's always there. The universality of prayer is always there. His, um, he felt that when the Dalai Lama came to Montreal, for example, John Main organised a a meditation time, a shared meditation. Um, the primacy of experience over theory. Well, with most of the mystical tradition, that's clear, but you have to always realize the mystical tradition is set within a lot of theology. So if you, if you kind of to, to find something which really points you to the experience is very valuable. The stress on pure prayer, no thoughts, no images, nothing. Just the poverty of a single word. It's the pure prayer. And a very practical wisdom, the teaching of on, on the, the mantra, that he's not, he's giving you a practice. Or, um, it's not a, a technique, in that you're not trying to get something from it, but it's a discipline, it's a way of, of self-transcendence. And the mantra is, is, is the way. John Main also gives a, a theology of meditation. He does do that. And based on this, his main insight being that um, the, the prayer of Jesus, that actually when we're meditating, there's no such thing as our prayer. There's the prayer of Jesus within us, the Holy Spirit praying within us. And that when we're meditating, we're tuning in, like with this quartz crystal, we're tuning into that 
frequency of Jesus's communion with the Father and we're entering into it with Jesus to the Father. So he says, the human consciousness of Jesus dwells within us and is in union with us. If we can be open to that, then the union is consummated, is fulfilled, and we go with Jesus to the Father, the source. You see, the, 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 basically, the human consciousness of Jesus, the Spirit, is in union with everyone. Our opening to it doesn't create that union, it just fulfills it so that we go with Jesus. Jesus is present in everyone. But we go with Jesus to the source, to the Father, to the origin. So the Christian contemplative, or the one who's following the path, um, realizes this already present um, spirit within. So he says, the prayer of Jesus in us, his spirit, his life in us, is our prayer. Meditation, in meditation we give up my prayer and we become one with his prayer. His prayer is his journey beyond himself to the Father in his humanity. So we go and in that we become children of God. We realize our oneness with God. Um, just a, yes, a few words about the, the mantra because it's the key to, to, to John Main's teaching. Um, he was very worried that the, the, the simplicity of the teaching would get diluted with this tendency to sort of create sort of spiritualities and get lost again. <laughs> so he said that it's imp- important to, to, to stay with the same word. So that you you don't constantly flitting around. You stay with it, and you go deeper and deeper with that word. And the more rooted you are in that word, the more the growth can happen. It's like a narrowing. He said, often he even drew this diagram once of a <laughs> of narrowing. Um, uh, well, this way now, um, down of our consciousness to one point. And this point of self-transcendence, and there the expansion of spirit comes. So our prayer gets narrowed right down into this one-pointedness. And there we leave self behind and, and we enter into the, to the, the prayer of Christ, which is this expansion of, the, of being, where we become one with, with God. So this this point of, of narrowness, he, he stressed again and again. And again, the continual repetition of the mantra. Um, that you don't say it in order to come to a state of peace and then drift off. You say it as a discipline of self-transcendence. So you continuous repetition. To um, So this is a, obviously a way of dealing with distractions. When the mind wanders, you have a focal point to bring it back to um, but it's it's also a way of of leaving self behind it's a radical discipline of self transcendence but he was aware that it wasn't easy and actually it's impossible to say the mantra continuously we're always distracted and but it, it's um, the important thing is not to be discouraged but just to to, to persevere 
um, in saying it. And gradually the, the, the mantra does become deeper in you and you become, it becomes a more um, always present there and you can tune into it. So it's important that the, the practice itself doesn't become uh, some self, you're not too self-conscious about the practice, so you're not evaluating the meditations. Is this a good meditation? Is this a bad one? That's all pointless. It's just to sit down, say the word, <laughs> as best you can. Um, but there is also, having said that, the continuous, there is a, a movement within the meditation. At first you start saying the word in the, you seem to articulate it in your mind, um, and you need to com- that's where you need to commit to the word. And then you begin, it goes deeper into your consciousness and you begin to sound the word. It becomes more of a sound. That's why many mantras, it's ideal to find one which has this sort of harmonic quality, like the word Maranatha, Maranatha. In the other words, Abba, Father, or the name of Jesus, whatever, or Yahweh. But a word where you can get into the sound, not so much the meaning, but the sound. Maranatha, Mara. So this is the moving from saying to sounding. And at that point you need to, you're attentive to the sound, you're listening to the sound. Um, and that's maybe the deeper stage where you're no longer even sounding it, it's present within you and you're just listening to it. And that's where the I, the ego, ceases to be involved in the prayer. Where you realise the prayer is going on all the time and you're just becoming present to it. And then there is, Domain does talk about the silence you come to at the end. But he's important this is not a... Um, is we don't choose when that silence comes. It comes unselfconsciously. And so he says, you say your mantra until you can no longer say it. There comes this time where we, we're lifted out of self-consciousness and we enter into the, the silence. But as soon as we're aware of the silence and we try and experience it and say, oh, this is nice, then it's become a self-conscious experience and then you have to come back to the mantra and let go, let go. This is what he called, uh, from the monastic tradition, the Pax Perniciosa, the pernicious peace, where we stop the work and we try to exp- possess the experience. Um, John Maynard once said, you, you, you enter into the experience, you don't experience it, you enter into it. <laughs> so, just, so, basically what we have in John Maynard is the the simplification and adaption of a monastic tradi- of a tradition of Christian spirituality to our modern needs. So he taught these two half hours, very practical, and something which we could apply in our own lives. So the whole essence of the monastic tradition is condensed into this practice and made possible for us to to practice. Um, the pure prayer coming um, 
and but and also the being touched with our humanity the 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 um the practice of meditation is always coming back to the word it's never an achievement we're always we've always distracted so John Main used to say in meditation we're all beginners every time you sit down it's like the first time we haven't we and you're just coming back to the word so John Main used to say we're always on the way everyone's on the way no one arrives there's no qualifications there's no sort of initiation of sort of higher levels of consciousness or any of that <laughs> it's just the same path for everyone being on the way with our in our own humanity but there is the there is the way which uh, John Maine understood in monastic terms as obedience stability and conversion but that condensed into this practice the obedience to the practice, the commitment to it, the stability in it, and then the allowing your lives to be converted, allowing the the, the letting go of the of the ego and the discovery of the true self in God. <laughs>